1: What does it look like for you to grow in Christ and to protect that walk? And yes, it might look like deleting apps off your phone or putting accountability software on your computer. That's exactly what it can look like and also are learning how to grow in
0: Christ. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast would you like to know an interesting fact? One of the most accessed blog posts on my blog is a post titled, When a Woman is Addicted to Pornography. It was first published in 2017, and it is still one of the most popular posts on my website. Our world primarily talks about lust and pornography as a man's problem, but a 2016 Barna study actually found that 20% of Christian women use porn on a regular basis. These women suffer silently and often feel alone with nowhere to turn. My guest totally understands that experience. She's made the journey from being addicted to pornography to being set free. Jessica Harris is recognized as a leading voice on the topic of female porn use and addiction in the church. Her latest book, Quenched, helps women understand God's abundant grace when struggling with pornography and sexual shame. Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, Jessica. Thank you for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. You know, it's uh, when I first learned about your book and... um that you were open to doing... Uh, interviews on the subject, it was an easy yes for me because of that blog post Mm -hmm. that it wasn't even a blog post I wrote. It was a guest post of a gal that I had met at a speaker's conference and she had shared her story. And I was like, we have to talk about this. And she said, well, I'll write a guest post. And I'm telling you, that thing is accessed 20, 30, 40 times a day. Mm on my website. And my website is not about that topic, but that tells you how much people are looking for that kind of information. So Mm -hmm. thank you for being willing to talk about it. Absolutely. So share um, about your story, your story about addiction, why you think that writing this book was really an important project for you to undertake
1: hmm So I grew up in a, a Christian home. I always want to start with that because I just feel like it's important. <laughs> um, I grew up uh, in a home where it was we were very active in our, our church. God was kind of a list of rules, unfortunately. Like, it was all about going to church and all about praying before meals, and that was it. But um, our home was broken. My dad was abusive and did leave when I was younger, but I was first exposed to pornography when I was 13. And so this is back in the land of dial up internet and floppy disks.
0: (laughs) I am an older millennial. Um, and were you, were you first introduced to pornography in, um, like a magazine format or were mm -hmm. were you, it was online. It was online. Yeah. It was was, online.
1: Yes. And the internet was kind of like this new fun thing that you had in your house that no one really understood anything about really. (laughs) So, um, I was researching for school and had, gone onto a video website, kind of like YouTube, but it wasn't YouTube. Uh, We just had little snippets of of videos and one of them happened to be a a video of hardcore pornography. And so when I clicked on that video, it opened up pop-up window after pop-up window after pop-up window and eventually landed me on a, a pornography website. And so that was my first exposure. And for me, it was like, Oh this is that thing that no one wants to talk about because we didn't talk about it in my family. We didn't talk about it in church other than to say don't don't have yeah. sex till you're married. You know that was the end of the conversation. And uh I thought this is this is it. This is what everyone's been, you know, being so secretive about. And so for me in my mind at 13 it felt like well this doesn't count like it doesn't Count against me i'm not going to get pregnant i'm not going to get an std so it seemed like it had a place like this is a safe place for me to explore and to express and to figure this out so i didn't tell anybody at first i didn't feel like anything was wrong with it really Mm -hmm. like i just this is what people do like why else would it be out here you know (laughs) so um i i watched it and i got sucked into chat rooms and things like that and then um I did get caught once by my mom, and her reaction was less than favorable. <laughs> and so yes, then I was I like, okay, imagine. well, well, maybe, maybe I just need to um, keep it away from her. Like, I, I still think it's good, and I still think it's fine. But you know, mom doesn't understand. Every teenager thinks that, right? <laughs> mom right. just doesn't understand. So I hid it from her, but I still felt like there's nothing wrong with this. Like everything is fine. When I was 17, I was a senior in high school and it was consuming my life, absolutely consuming it to the point where it was all I thought about during the day at school. I would try to read erotica, which is written out story porn basically on school computers. And then I would come home and I would watch um, pornography until my mom got home from work. And then I would stay up after she went to bed and try to watch it on the cable TV channel. Just, I just had to have it all the time. And when I wasn't actively doing something necessary to sustain life, like eating or sleeping or working on schoolwork, I was indulging in this to the point that I was losing sleep. I was getting maybe two hours of sleep a night and my grades were suffering. And I thought, okay, listen, <laughs> listen here, a little hobby that I have, like you can't derail my life plans. So I'm going to get this back under control. It just felt like it's out of control right now. And when I tried to stop I found out that I couldn't stop. No matter no matter what tools and tricks I tried to do. Okay, we'll just cut it back to two hours instead of five. Um, I would just lose track of time and would spend hours again. Um, I tried self harm. I tried different things to get myself to stop. And that's when I realized, wow, this is actually controlling me. Like I'm not it's no longer my little hobby and my
0: fun thing on the side. Like this is something that has taken over my life. Mm. Oh my goodness. How scary when you actually got to that point where you realized that it was a craving that had Mm -hmm. really built inside of your body as your mind was craving that. And and it was like, like you said, it was controlling you. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, um, Talk about the journey then that eventually uh, gave you the freedom over the porn. What did that look like?
1: Mm -hmm. When I was 17, I was looking for help, trying to figure out how to to stop this thing. And everything I found online was for men. So I Mm -hmm. remember thinking, oh, this is not a normal thing. (laughs) That's the first time that it occurred to me that perhaps on a broader scale, this wasn't a normal thing for women to do. And I thought, wow, who do I tell then? Who do I tell that I struggle with this? Because I, I don't want to tell my mom, we've already been down that road. I'm not going there. And I don't know how to tell my church that I struggle with this because how do I go to my church and say, my grandpa's a deacon, my grandma teaches Sunday school, my mom sings in the choir, and I've been here basically my whole life, super active in church." leading helping to lead the youth group and here i am and this is uh, what i struggle with i was like i can't do that i can't tell those people so i felt kind of alone and like what i need is i need someone else to start this conversation i don't know how to start it myself so i thought in my mind if i go off to college and mm-hmm. they find out they're going to know they're they're surely they have seen this before i get my fuddy-duddy old church hasn't seen it before, but but at college where there's a lot of students and the internet, they understand it better. They'll have seen this before. So I went off to college, Christian college, and I did get caught at college. And their response was, we know this wasn't you. Women don't have this problem. So that was a devastating blow of shame for me. That was crushing because now I have what seems like an authority voice telling me, you, Jessica, are absolutely alone in this, and there is something wrong with you for for having this struggle. So I gave up at that point. I thought, well, if I can't beat it, then I guess I just have to join it. And so I was 17 years old, gave up my dreams of becoming a doctor at a Christian college, grew up in church, and said, well, I just have to be a porn star. So I left school and I went home and I tried to figure out how to get into the industry. Thankfully, it's not that easy. It's not like apply here isn't on the website. So, right. um, and God just really intervened in that season of my life where I was home, um, and struggling with, I didn't want to do that. Right. I didn't, that was not my life ambition and my life goal was not to become an adult actress. Like I wanted to do something meaningful and successful with my life. And so I was battling this just war inside of, I really don't want to do this, but I don't feel like I have a choice otherwise. And Mm -hmm. God, is there a choice otherwise? And he, he did, he worked mightily. And I ended up at Bible college the following year um, just wanting to grow closer to him and figure out how to do this christian life the right way and i kind of went into bible college saying okay god like i'm going to do whatever you want me to do i'll be a missionary on the other side of the world like i don't care but you have to understand that this comes with me it's stuck like i can't get rid of it i have tried absolutely everything something is wrong with me i'm sorry i don't know why i can't stop but like maybe you can use the rest of me you know kind of mm. so I went off to Bible college with that mindset and then it was at Bible college where they had an all women's meeting. So they pulled all the female students into a a devotional and they gave a, a devotional on strongholds and talked about how a stronghold is an area of your life where the devil still has kind of a fortress. Like, yes, you've, you've conquered all the other land, but you've left this one bastion where Satan is still able to launch attacks and is still able to say like part of you is still mine. And I thought, man, that that kind of feels like me. Like, I feel like I really want to serve you God, but I've got this hook in my back almost. that's keeping me from going further. And that's when they said, we know some of you in this room struggle with pornography and we want to help you. And I was like, <laughs> how wow. did they find my journal? <laughs> how did they know? <laughs> what just happened? Um, and so they encouraged us to write down whatever our stronghold was. And I remember being angry because it was like I want the cute, right church girl answer. I want the one that says I don't read my Bible enough or I listen to the wrong kind of music. You know, I, I want the one that's more tame. I don't want this one. Like, I don't <laughs> want this to be I'm mine. Sure. But I, I did just eventually, in a lot of fear, write out that it, this was my stronghold. That my name is Jessica Harris and I struggled with pornography. And there was a lot of a lot of fear in that confession, oh, like, what's, what's going to happen. Um, and instead I was met with so much grace where mm-hmm. they said, Hey, what you wrote on this slip of paper was brave and we want to help you. And that was the beginning of my
0: freedom journey. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful gift that was. Mm. I I can almost imagine, and we you said you were angry, but almost, you know, a relief too, yeah. like, like, did you want to cry? <laughs> I, I did. There was, but I think I've always had a little bit of like a feisty side. And
1: so, <laughs> so <laughs> I tell people that in that moment, when they came to me and they said, what you wrote in that slip was brave and we want to help you. It just felt like all of the years of lies like, had been exposed. And I tell people that it felt like I could turn around and look the devil in the eyes and say, you're a liar. You've been lying to me. Mm. And I want to know what else you've been lying about. So there was almost like this renewed sense of, like, I can get out of this. Like, like a I'm, fight, I'm gonna, a renewed yeah, sense of this. A fight. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to get this. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. getting out of
0: here. Oh, wow. So powerful. And, um, boy, you just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to the people that led well in that mm-hmm. gathering, too, you know? So, um, so let's let's talk to the cynics out there just a little bit. You've, you've shared your story, but for people that still think this is a one-off or, you know, hey, this isn't a female problem, really, or even what kind of woman struggles with pornography, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say I used to be like one of them too. <laughs>
1: it's so <laughs> funny because even though it's part of my story, when I felt led to share it, I was like, nope no one else needs this. Like this is no one has gone through this experience because even still, when I graduated from college and I was looking for resources, there still weren't any out there. And I'm like, see, this is evidence that they're like, I am the only woman who ever, ever got herself into this mess. <laughs> so it was like, this is not as big of a problem as it, it doesn't need its own blog. It doesn't need its own book. Like it just, it, I want to move on with my life and have this not be a thing. Mm-hmm. And When I started my website, so this is back in 2009 when I started my website beggarsdaughter.com and um, shared my story anonymously, Mm -hmm. emails started coming in of other women saying, oh my goodness, I thought I was alone. And then the following year, I went and I spoke at a college conference um, with a a friend who is a a speaker as well. And he invited me along to lead the women's workshop. And so I was like, well, we're going to be talking about lust. And that's not a typical women's workshop conversation, right? Like We're not Proverbs 31, women are dating or makeup (laughs) or how to be a good mom, Like none of that stuff. I'm like, we're talking about lust. And because of the topic of the workshop, the workshop ended up selling out, women were sitting in the chairs, sitting on the floor and standing around the edge of the room. And I remember thinking, they did not come because I'm Beth Moore. (laughs) Like they don't, I am not anybody. What on earth has happened here? And the women who lined up afterwards to share their stories. And I even had a nun who was there come up to me and like, I'm I'm not Catholic, but like you just like Nuns. I mean, they're they're nuns, all right. Right. Like, it's like right, right. holiness is like their lifestyle. And she even came up to me and she gave me a hug and she says, Thank you. Your story is my story. And mm. I was just blown away. And I remember walking out of that room, like, what is going on? <laughs> Where did all these people come from? And is it really bigger, a bigger issue than any of us realize, and I found that to very much be the case. Every time that even I think, okay, it's a fifty percent issue, I'll go somewhere, and it's like, oh, never mind. We're closer to like eighty. <laughs> it's even worse and more of a struggle than even I realize sometimes. So I understand the 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 people who would say, well, it's not that big of a deal, especially when you look at statistics and they say like twenty 20%. percent. Well, twenty is not that. You know, it, it seems very small, right? 20% is failing if it's a math test. But like right. <laughs> if you're talking about your circle of friends, if you know five women, you're talking about one of them. Like, mm-hmm. so it when you make it more personal, it's a it's an issue. And these are individuals who are stuck. And these are individual stories who are in desperate need of of grace. And one of the things I just like, Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 who are healthy, Mm -hmm. fine and good and chases after the one, that's a 1%, right? He chases after the 1% and we've got 20%. And I mean, I could go into how the statistics aren't an accurate representation of the struggle, but even if you go with 20%, that's one out of five. And so, if you know five women, then you know one who this is part of their struggle and how many of us know many more (laughs) than five women. So this is a prevalent issue that we're not really talking about just because there's so much shame and so much stigma around it. Yes,
0: yes. So I so agree with you. And yes, I'm sure that the statistics are low because Mm -hmm. this is such a a topic that women, even in a blind study would be hesitant about admitting and so um and and you're right shame is at the corner of it that's what begins to happen with porn whether you're talking about um men women uh it it puts us in this state of shame and one of the things that you talk about in the book are three signposts of shame so Mm -hmm. talk about those and why it's important to recognize those
1: yeah, the three signposts of shame come from Dan Allender and Tremper Longman's book, um, The Cry of the Soul. And Dan Allender is a, a leading expert in this field and all fields, trauma and things like that. But yeah, um, they point out these three signposts of shame, and the first is an absorption with self, and that is. I am. I can only see how wrong and how failed I am. Like it doesn't matter how good and how gracious and how kind you are, or how kind God is, or God is love, or I can tell you anything. It, none of that matters. All I can see is that I'm a failure. I'm a hypocrite. I've screwed up. I. 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 And so it's it's not selfishness, but it's this. It's this. In, it's blinders almost. This inability yes. to see goodness in others because i am just obsessed with the quote badness in myself. And mm-hmm. then the second one is a flight from exposure and we see this in in genesis 3 when adam and eve sin and eat from the tree that they weren't supposed to. They cover themselves up with fig leaves so they hide from each other and then they hide from god as well. They go and they they flee from his presence. And so we we get obsessed with our badness and then we go i have to hide this i have to protect this because i can't let this out if yes. someone finds this out then i'm i'm done mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in the in quenched i talk about this idea that if you really knew who i was if you really knew what i'm mm-hmm. doing you wouldn't love me so i'm going to hide that and i'm going to protect that because mm-hmm. i want I, I don't want to lose that image with you. Like I don't want you to know how bad right. I am. I don't want you to see that. And so we flee from being exposed. And then the third signpost is violence, and it doesn't mean like physical violence. You're not beating people up, but it's this anger that's lodged either at other people or at yourself or both. And so this is I'm obsessed with my badness. I don't want you to find it. I am going to keep you away. Like I'm going to fiercely protect that to the point where I might lash out emotionally with you. I might get aggressive because I am keeping you away from finding this. I am protecting this. And this is something I struggled with in my story where I tell people like we talk about walls, right? We build up walls Mm -hmm. and relationships and walls to protect ourselves. But I like built a wall, dug a moat, filled the moat with alligators and then stationed fire breathing dragons on top of the wall. Like it was like, (laughs) if you get anywhere near me, I was sent to anger management counseling in my first college because I was so aggressive and so angry. It was like, if you get anywhere close to what I'm trying to hide, I am going to protect it. And at the same time, we don't want it to be part of our stories anymore, but we're just so afraid of what the fallout is of it being discovered. So those are the three, the absorption with self, the flight from exposure, and then the violence. And I think it's important for people to know those because it can look like protection, right? It can look like, well, I'm just having healthy boundaries or I, and then we can have these narratives that make it seem like it's, for our safety and for our good. And what it really is, it's toxic. What it really is, is it's isolating us and it's cutting us off from relationship. And it's the opposite of freedom. But we think, well, I'm keeping myself from getting hurt. I'm making sure I only have healthy, supportive relationships. Like we give ourselves all of these lines and if they didn't push my buttons or if they just respected my boundaries, like then i wouldn't have to get so aggressive with them but these are these are signposts that shame is at work in our lives and that we need yes. some grace to get in there and do some healing work
0: yeah and you know that that is um found in so many other areas i find in the my husband and i primarily work in the marriage space
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i find you know we find when we're working with a couple and um it could be abortion in the past that's caused mm. shame it could be pornography that's caused shame it could be sexual abuse that's never been revealed that causes shame and all of those things I, I we see that the violence and um which is such a strong word but it's mm. a it's a fighting there's a fighting and it's like what am i coming up against here and it's usually not what you think it is so a lot of times we will chase the symptom instead of the root Right. And I love what, how you just said, it's like when you recognize, no, there is something that is keeping me angry. It's keeping me protected and it's time to do some healing work. Mm -hmm. I love that the, the words healing work. Um, and that really indicates that it's possible. A, um, B, that it is, um, some individual work that we need to do mm-hmm. what what did your healing work look like jessica
1: so for me it there was a structured like anti-pornography element of it where um i actually had to go to the christian bookstore on campus and buy this book for men about how to break free from pornography it was a big ugly workbook <laughs> i hated that thing <laughs> and and so i met with one of the members of the dean staff one-on-one weekly basically to work through this workbook but What I think was more important and a more important part of my healing journey and the reason that it was so successful was that there was also a team of women who surrounded me who were more focused on who Jessica was without pornography because I had been exposed at 13. So it had been a part of my life and a crutch and a coping mechanism for years. I had never developed healthy coping mechanisms for stress or for emotions, all of these things that are important and that you work through in your teen years as you're dealing with surging hormones and stuff. All of that had pointed me to pornography. And now we're trying to take that away. You have to answer the question of what goes in its place. Like what? How do you yes. not turn to it anymore? And so I had a team of women who were Working on that. Jessica, how do we like calm this very emotional? Like, (laughs) you're like up and down and up and down and angry one moment and super happy the next. And like, this is wildness. Like, how do we fix this? And what does Jesus want to do with this? How do we walk through relationships and have healthy relationships? I didn't know, like, when you spend your waking hours with a computer screen, you don't know how to have relationships really with other people. You might know how to manipulate to get what you want, but you don't know how to have healthy relationships. And so, there was this team of women that came around me that's answering these other questions. Like They could have cared less about whether or not I watched porn last week. That was the one person's job to ask. But the rest of them were worried about, what are the patterns in your life that we're seeing where we need to have God In this and, and teach you how to live like Christ in this. And I feel like that is why my journey was so successful because it wasn't spending every waking day thinking about how not to fall to pornography today. It wasn't obsessing over passwords and deleting things. And it was none of that. It was, how do you grow? How do we heal? Mm -hmm. How do we shore this up so that you're more resilient? You know, Mm -hmm. if there's temptation, um, how do we build you up in Christ and restore your identity in him so that you understand and you live in that versus living your life constantly fighting pornography? Because that's that's not freedom either to live constantly you know, trying to beat something down. So, how do we build you up so that you're able to walk in freedom from that? Yeah.
0: So, is that what you would call false freedom versus true freedom? Talk about that. Mm. So, in the book, I talk about the idea of false
1: freedom versus true freedom. In John 4, which is what Quench is based off of, it's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is the living water. Anyone who grew up in church and has heard this story knows that that's the takeaway. But he offers living water to this woman at the well. And he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will not Thirst again, and mm-hmm. she says, "Give me this water so that I won't thirst, and I don't have to come here anymore." And I felt like that little tag that she added on was just so insightful because who said you don't have to come here anymore? Like, how often do we use water for something other than drinking? She's still going to have to come, but in her mind, I think it was, "You're removing the shame, right? You're you're keeping me from having to do this walk. You're pumping this living water right to where I am, and that's not what that's not what God's offering us." And I think so many women who struggle with, or any of us who struggle with any kind of sin, what we can fall into is this trap of, well, I want to be free to do whatever I want to do without feeling bad about it. And that's what freedom looks like to me. So, what I start to do is I start to cut off the church who's judging me and telling me that I'm wrong. I cut off my parents who have told me that this isn't acceptable. I start cutting off friends who are confronting me. And I just start Cutting out these people who I think are the source of my shame and who I think um. are the source of judgment, and now I am free to do whatever I want to do with people who completely agree with me. And that's not freedom. That's a that's a prison. <laughs> right? right? Like that's you have just isolated yourself and you have just boxed yourself in and cut yourself off from relationships that can be good and God honoring, and healthy. And yes, there can be toxic relationships out there. Like I'm not just discounting that at all. But so many times when shame is the one calling the shots, it's, oh, they're so judgmental, so, like, they're gone. And we we want to keep living the way we've been living without feeling bad about it. And that's not the freedom that Jesus offers mm. us. That's not what he's giving us. We want, well, why can't I watch porn? Like, of course I can watch porn. Like, why wouldn't, well, course, God can't have a problem with this. And so, I'm going to start If you think he has a problem with it, then I don't talk to you anymore. It's it's a bit like cancel culture, right? Like It's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, block you, unfriend you, until we have ourselves in an echo chamber of people who think the same way we do. And that's not freedom. That's not what God's offering us. There's no healing in that. You are still very much stuck. (laughs) And you think there's just no shame, but what you really have is just no relationships. Like So you can't see shame manifesting because you don't have anywhere for it to show up. Wow.
0: Wow, what a picture. So what would you say though to the woman who is afraid to come to God with this? Mm-hmm. You know what to to actually talk to him about it, lay this at his feet, dig into it, admit it. Um she knows she needs him, but she is afraid of what he is going to say and how he is going to possibly reject her.
1: Yeah, man, that's the that is the that's the woman I wrote the book for, right? That mm-hmm. is because that was the story that kept coming through the emails to me of of women saying, like, I can't even bring this to God. You know, I I'm sure God thinks I'm disgusting. I'm sure he's sick and tired of me messing up. I'm sure he's he's just looking at me, going, Why are you even praying to me, you hypocrite? You know. And I would say, look at this story in John 4 because this is a a woman who you know we all Samaritan woman comes to the well yada 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 but when they start getting into the conversation when Jesus and her start getting into the conversation and he reveals that he's known everything about her and he says right. I know you, you don't like you don't have a husband her first question in response to that is about worship mm. and Jesus doesn't respond to her by saying, Worship. <laughs> You're one to talk about worship, you good for nothing, you know, harlot. Like he doesn't, Mm-mm. he does not respond to her in that way. What does he do? He he answers her question
0: mm-hmm.
1: very graciously. And then she presses even further and says, you know, someday Messiah is going to be coming. So this is this isn't just a Samaritan woman. This is by all accounts a religious woman right. who has come to the well, and who is having this encounter with Jesus, and she has revealed that the ultimate longing of her heart is for Messiah. And I think so many women, if they could believe that God wants their freedom and that He's coming for them, they, they want that in their core, but shame has done its greatest work by telling them that God wants absolutely nothing to do with them. Like, that is the greatest work of shame, if yes. I can cut you off from your only source of freedom and make you believe that you have to do this on your own, then that, that's victory for shame, right? Right. And in our hearts, we want to believe that God, a loving God would come and help us fight this and help us make this right. But then in our heads, we go like, there's no way God can, can do this. And I would say, look at this story, because it's right there. Like, the whole Bible is God coming after us when we're trying to run from Him and hide and do things on our own. Like from Genesis three all the way to the end, it is God chasing after us when we're trying to be stupid sheep. You know, like yeah, we're, we're trying to solve this on our own. We're trying to figure this out on our own, and we're saying, "No, don't need you, God." And He's like, "Actually, you do." And I'm right here because I've never left. <laughs> that's that's yep. who He is, it right? is. that's the that's the story of grace and God's goodness. And so I would. I would say that for so many of us, that voice that says God's disgusted with you and God wants something to do with you comes from a culture around us of maybe that's some, how our family might respond or how a church might respond. But when you want to know how God's going to respond, you need to go to his word. Yeah. And you need to see how he talks about us and how he talks about our sin and our weakness and how he's familiar with it and how we have a high priest who knows what we've gone through and how he's giving us a way to escape temptation like yes. how he talks about us in such loving and nurturing pursuit and wanting to fight for our freedom the gospel is a fight for our freedom it's they can't do this on their own they need me and i'm coming for them that's that's what it is and we shame will tell us to run shame will tell us to isolate but grace will always call us into reconciliation and into community and so we have to learn to go to god's word for god's voice like that's that's where he's talking yes
0: Yes. you know what it makes me think of jessica have you ever seen um the documentary the heart of man yes i have i love that (laughs) I love that too. I just love that. and we often recommend it um, when we're um, working with a couple that you know one or both is dealt with some sort of uh, sexual shame. But just the picture in the heart of man of God's pursuit, his love, his rescue, so very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you that are listening, I'll put a link to that. It's uh, It's available on Amazon Prime. It's an excellent, excellent um, show that really illustrates exactly what you were talking about, Jessica, um, right there. And it's the heart of God um, and That is so well illustrated in that. So let's dig into just a little bit of practical before we bring this to a close. You talk in your book about firefighting mode or preventing the fire in the first place. Talk about that a little bit so that we have an understanding of some practical steps.
1: Mm-hmm. So, this is, I touched on it a little bit back when I was talking about my story and my journey of healing so many times I think our resources and the way that we want to approach freedom just look like action steps against whatever it is that we're fighting. So, how do I stop struggling with this? Well, I delete the app off my phone and um, I might put a password on or whatever. And then what happens is I have this moment of temptation. And now in this moment, heat of the moment of temptation, I decide that I'm actually going to call on God and get his help to put out whatever fire this is. And so, we live life kind of constantly on guard mm-hmm. and constantly fighting fighters because if it's not over here, then it's over here. Like, if it's not pornography, then it's something else that I'm struggling with or then it's, mm-hmm. you know, I close my eyes to pray and boom, I've got videos in my mind and now I'm freaking out and I'm praying about that. And we kind of rely on Jesus as the living water, but more as like a fire extinguisher as opposed to what It's meant to be, which is a stream of living water welling up into us to eternal life. And it's meant to be a source of life and nourishment and growth. But if you're in firefighting mode, all you're left with is like scorched earth. It's just a bunch of burned, dead things. And I think so many people, that's what they think this is supposed to look like. Well, at least I'm not on fire. Well, you're not, (laughs) nothing else is happening either. Like you're just ashes. It's just,
0: desolation.
1: Mm -hmm. And you're spending your whole life obsessed with how many days it's been since you last fell, making sure that you don't struggle in this way. And we're not tapping into growth and tapping into the spirit. Like the Bible talks about walking in the spirit, dwelling in the spirit, abiding. This is a lifestyle change that nourishes the earth And when you find your life springing up with new growth and nourishing, then it is less likely to catch fire. It doesn't mean that you can't be tempted. It doesn't mean that these temptations won't come up. But I've had women come to me and they basically believe that freedom looks like for the rest of their life freaking out about every potential exposure to pornography and freaking out about any possible source of temptation and then you're kind of hyper-vigilant and you're always on guard and you're always worried about it. And and yes, there is a point of us, a part of us that needs to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be mindful. But it we are not called to like live in this fear almost of of sin and struggle and failure. Like we are called to live in the spirit and to walk in the spirit and i think firefighting mode comes when we try to do it in our own strength right Mm -hmm. and like god's just a tool that we use Mm -hmm. whereas we need to be doing this in his strength and the other things are tools that we can use to help but ultimately it's his strength and his healing and his nourishment and you can have a life where pornography isn't a thing that comes up anymore like i I don't, and people are amazed by this, like, I don't live my life in fear of pornography, like, looming around the corner. Like, we don't have, my husband and I both don't have accountability softwares on our computers, and that's not, like, if that's what you guys need, then that's fine. But I just, it is possible to have a life of freedom where this isn't a constant, 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 constant battle that you're fighting, Mm -hmm. where you are, nourished and growing and living outside of constantly being on guard and watching right. for this. And so, I, I would just encourage people to that. That's not this life of vigilant and everything's always on fire and we're always putting this out isn't what God's offering us. He's offering us a life of of peace <laughs> right. and and abundance and growth and we find that as we stay tuned into him so my practical steps always look more like what do you need to do to protect your freedom as mm-hmm. opposed to what do you need to do to fight pornography because it, it if it's not one thing trying to assault your freedom it's going to be another thing and so What does it look like for you to grow in Christ and to protect that walk? And yes, it might look like deleting apps off your phone or putting accountability software on your computer. That's exactly what it can look like. But as you are doing that, you're doing it so that as you are growing in Christ, you are protecting that. It's not just, well, it's enough to put accountability software on your computer. No, you do that and also yep. are learning how to grow in Christ and yeah. to tap into his word. You're doing both at the yeah. same time.
0: Right, right. Yeah, both and. yep. Yeah, that makes yep. total sense. So, Jessica, at the end of your book, you wrote a letter to women who don't struggle. Mm-hmm. Why did you think that was important to do? Because I
1: think some people pick up the book out of curiosity, right? I, I, it's one of those, it's not the first resource on the on the market, but I just, I imagined a woman walking into this the bookstore going like, Christian women don't struggle with this and, and opening up that book. And I wanted people who don't have a struggle to know how important their voices are for those who do you can either be the voice of shame in someone's life, or you can be the voice of grace. And and you really can't, like, those are your choices. (laughs) There's not really a, a neutral one in this. Like, you either are helping a woman understand God's grace for her, or you are continuing the message of shame, and you're speaking that over her. Um, and so I wanted uh. them to know that. And I also wanted people who don't have a struggle to know that they can still help, but like you don't have to have had this struggle to be able to help someone get out of it. And that's for the women who struggle as well as for those who don't, because a lot of times women who struggle can say, well, I can't find anyone who has my exact story. Therefore, I can't find help. And it's like, not how this works. <laughs> that is not how growth works. Like we don't right. need someone who's come from our exact Spot because what happens is when you have that mindset, you will always fight to be alone. And so you'll say, Well, Jessica, you might have had this story, but you didn't watch it as much as I did. Like, I am special. You know, <laughs> you didn't right. watch the same kind I did. Like, you don't get it. And it's like, I don't have to get it. I don't have to get it because we're not trying to explore the depths of where you are. What we're trying to do is get you out and so i don't need to know <laughs> everything that you've watched like we don't need to understand why we don't need to to plumb this as deep as it can go like what we need to do is turn our eyes the other way and get out of here and if you are a woman who loves the lord and who wants to help people grow in Christ you are able to do that part of that, team of women, yes, that, yep. that team of women yes that team of women helped me with yep. like you're able to say like hey let's talk about how you manage your emotions like you're able to do that and <laughs> we're called to do that in the church and in the body of Christ and so it's a challenge to women like set aside your bias about whether or not this is a woman's problem and understand that it is and you have a choice you can either help women get out and help them grow in grace, or you can make them stay stuck. (laughs) Those are your choices. And I wanted women to see that up front.
0: Oh, that's so very, very important. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, where can people find you and find uh, the resources that you have for them? Absolutely. Um,
1: My website is beggarsdaughter.com. And there's a whole list of, of resources there, including a study guide for Quench. There's actually a free study guide for Quench on the website as well, for diving deeper and helping to explore this more one-on-one or in a small group. Um, and then my Instagram handle is beggar's daughter. The book Quenched is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's also an audiobook. And I also have an original memoir that I wrote a few years ago, Beggar's Daughter, that's more of my story
0: as well. Mm, I love that. Love that. So I will make sure and put uh, links to all the resources that Jessica just talked about um, in the show notes to make it easy for you to access them. So Jessica, as we bring things to a close, will you pray for our listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank
1: you for being a God of mercy and a God of grace. And a God who pursues us passionately and who desires our freedom. And so I pray for those who are listening right now, especially those who might be hearing the voice of of shame, Mm -hmm. who, who may have had a glimmer of hope at the beginning, but now as they're thinking about their next step, they're feeling like they can't take it and they can't take that risk and they can't tell that person or they can't come to you or they... Just feel like they are stuck where they are. I pray specifically for that woman right now that she would know that there is freedom mm-hmm. and there is hope, and that shame is such a liar yes. and such an isolator. Yes. And i gonna pray that you would speak to her right now and give her the the strength to come to you and to share her struggle with others. You, your word tells us to confess and to share with others so that we can find healing, not so that mm-hmm. we can find judgment, but so that we can find healing. And God, that's what our hope is for those who know this struggle, that there would be healing from the the trauma, healing from the the bad coping mechanisms, healing even from the shame. You, yeah. you take it all from us and you give us a new identity, a new identity as As daughters who are beloved and who Mm -hmm. carry your image and who are able to be used to advance your kingdom, we are not worthless exiles, but we Mm -hmm. are beloved children. Yes. God, I pray for women who maybe struggle with believing that right now that you would silence the lies and help them to know that there is freedom. You have fought for it, you have died for it. There is freedom and there is victory that can be found. Over this. And so help them to have the courage and the bravery to take that first step. Give them safe places. God, we pray for our churches and our Christian communities to be safe places where people can come with their struggles and they can find hope and healing and discipleship and growth. And we pray for that living water to infuse our communities and to bring new life and nourishment into our communities that we can all pursue holiness mm-hmm. and the abundant life that you called us to. In Jesus'
0: name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing: We have three free eBooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org/free. See you next week, where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.